0: To the real journeys of success with Rob Elliott. Yes, again, we have an international guest. He's all the way from Singapore. And I'm just, you've got a, an impressive list of who he is. So if you don't want, I'm going to read him out. We call him the Podcaster's Podcaster. He's an entrepreneur, he's an author, he lives in Singapore, he's a founder of his own worldwide award winning podcast agency. And he's not originally from Singapore, we are going to get into that before we get into some of his favourite things. Welcome to this show, Graham Brown. How are you, mate?
1: I'm all right. Thanks a lot, Rob. Really looking forward to this. I enjoyed the banter off-air. Let's keep it going.
0: Mate, mate, not a problem at all. Our listeners from all over the world love to uh, hear the story of where people were, and if they're paying attention... That really isn't an accent that you find normally in Singapore. Where were you originally from?
1: <laughs> well, from England. Yes. So for my sins, I grew up in the motherland <laughs> and got out when I was quite young. Yeah. So obviously, I think if you're ambitious, you want to go and see the world. A lot of Australians do, obviously. Yeah. So the English, they want to go and see a bit of the world. And When I graduated, I went to Japan. So that wow. started me on my journeys Because was, this was the 90s, Rob, when Japan was a thing. Yeah, you know, It was Sony and TDK and Toshiba, all these big names back then. <laughs> so I was very much, a, and since then I've been travelling non-stop, yeah. stopping a bit here and there. So but you must have been your bad story. at
0: school if you actually got to go to university.
1: Well, I don't think you have to be that clever to go to university. Mm. Um, you know, I think it was just expected of everybody. You know, my parents' generation didn't okay. go to university. But so for them, they were very working class. Mm. You know, my, my dad was a farmer. And mm. my mom was a, the daughter of a shipbuilder from Glasgow. So that's a you know, very sort of traditional Glaswegian background. Yeah. And for them, like a lot of people, education was you know, escape. There was no other way to get out of poverty but to send your kids to university. So I was expected to go. If I hadn't gone to university, it's a different now for my son's generation, but if I hadn't mm. gone to university, I would have been a failure in their eyes.
0: So uh, growing up where you grew up, do you think that made you more resilient and tougher for the being in business?
1: That's an interesting question. I grew up in Portsmouth, which is a naval town, yeah um, my dad was a marine, so yeah. he was stationed there Um, i I think you know really, how did that set me up for business? I didn't know anybody in business at that stage. If you had a look around my immediate network and you read all these stories about entrepreneurs, Mm. how they were influenced by a dad or an uncle or a cousin who let them work in their hedge fund for the summer. (laughs) You know, for me, like all our network, my network were plumbers, you know, gas mechanics. Yeah. So there were no people who knew how to, you know, they they were entrepreneurs in their own right, but they weren't what we know as entrepreneurs these days. So I didn't have any kind of um, influence in that, that domain. So, for me, where I learned entrepreneurship was through studying other people's stories. I became fascinated by books and yeah. audio stories about entrepreneurs. That, for me, was my mentoring, if you like.
0: So, what did you study at uh, university apart from drinking and <laughs> <getting> dates?
1: <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I got an A in those either. So, especially <laughs> the last one. And mm, so, what did I officially study? I studied artificial intelligence. Wow. Which, yeah in 1995 was a little bit ahead of the time yeah. you know you can be ahead of the time and then you can be too ahead of the time and it doesn't mean anything yeah but as a computer guy and fascinated by psychology and behavior yeah for me that was the most exciting thing ever it was very different back then obviously to what we know as ai and machine learning today yeah. just because of the computational power but yeah that's how i got my start
0: Well, AI seems to be moving everywhere now. I was talking to a gentleman who funds the building of hotels the other day and he said the new, what you call a three-star hotel, you don't check in. You walk in with your iPhone or your Galaxy, scan it. Mm. It gives you your card. You walk upstairs. You don't talk to anybody. Everything is run by the computer. Mm. It's all artificial. You go to the lift, you scan it. It takes you to your floor. It's he said it's in many ways uh it's a scary world we may be heading into. He said, but it's gonna be up to the consumer mm. uh, where they come. It's
1: transactional, from. isn't it? It you know, if you buy yeah. you can go to a vending machine and buy food or yeah. buy a chocolate bar or buy a bag of crisps. From a vending machine. Mm. And you can also go to a restaurant and get served by a celebrity chef. So <laughs> I think you've got those two. You can buy the transactional experience, which is the three star you're talking about, which is going to be just driven by data and automation. Yeah. But if you want the experience, we were chatting about off air, about music, for example. Mm. People will still value that and AI will never replace that. It may yeah. create the ability to do it better, for example, take away all the heavy lifting. Doing it, but that will never go away. This will never go away, you know. Chatting to people, human conversation.
0: At one stage, they thought our movie actors would be put out of a job because they have the ability now to create somebody in a screen that looks real, Mm. but they soon worked out that the characters have no depth and people weren't reacting to them.
1: Well, think about art as an example. Technically, you've seen those videos and those studies of how they give a paintbrush to an elephant or a monkey yeah. and it can produce a Jackson Pollock style <laughs> painting. But the point is, it's the story, isn't it? You know, we buy Van Gogh, we buy, buy Picasso because of the story of that person. Yes. not necessarily the art itself. The art is, you know, you hang it on a wall and you show it to somebody and then it's a story, you know, where did mm. you find it? Where did it come from? Who painted this? So, technically, the art itself is not so important as the story behind it. And it's the same with music, isn't it? Yeah. Like, we like musicians because of their stories and our connection with them, as opposed to the actual physical nature of the music.
0: Look, you're so right. Um, before we actually get into authenticity, storytelling, which is what, what we were discussing off uh, camera and with leaders and how that's evolved from when you were. Just for my listeners, how did you end up in Singapore and how did you end up owning and uh, being a founder of one of, uh, one of the world's uh, most awarded podcasting agencies?
1: Okay. It's a long story. Let me do the short version of short it. Short version, then. yeah. Yeah. So back in, let's go back to 2012, Rob. I sold a telecoms business, yeah. a telecoms research business it was focused on mobile telecoms and it kind of run its cycle. I'd done 12 years building that. And I hadn't, as you know, being an entrepreneur, taken a day off for many years. (laughs) So I remember saying to my wife, look, I don't want to start another business. I really didn't feel the love at that stage. I was pretty much looking forward to just doing nothing for a while. So we said, what do we do? So we decided that we would, uh, declutter everything mm. so we sold everything that we had and you know i had a, a small family at the time i had a six-year-old boy so you got all that rubbish that you build up over time yeah so we, we decluttered everything and then we packed our lives into three suitcases and then we went and traveled the world wow. for four years so you know we lived on tropical islands you know we lived the dream i suppose mm. so people see it but here's the interesting thing rob is that um actually if you're an entrepreneur lying on a tropical beach gets pretty old yes after some time because it's really interesting you think these images you see on instagram are going to make us happy you know the sunsets yeah. in fiji and living the dream in okinawa these places yeah. where we lived but actually what i really missed as an entrepreneur was challenge and i missed people mm. and i really missed that that you know that vibe that hustle that you get with being an entrepreneur the game if you like so after some years of doing that and we spent a bit of time in Japan because my wife's Japanese yeah and we decided look at that time I'd started a podcast and people were now coming to me and saying yeah. how do I do this how do I start a podcast and it, somewhere in the back of my mind I got this thought that mm, I can make some money out of this <laughs> And then it started ticking and that thought grew and it grew. And there was this real challenge, which was, you know, I was in my forties at the time. So I yeah. wasn't a young entrepreneur and I had, you know, was quite comfortable. Hmm. And there was this idea that I could take on this massive risk, which was to move, take my family from Japan. Cause my son was in school there, yeah. move to Singapore, start a podcast business. Where nobody had known about podcasting in 2018, it was really ahead of the curve. Start a business which didn't have any obvious market there at that time because yeah. it was still three or four years away and really just grow something from scratch. And on the face of it, it looks insanity, but yeah. something in there enticed me to do it. And I think that, you know, if you go back to we as entrepreneurs, what do we do? Why do we do it? And what makes us happy? That's it. It's hard to explain to somebody who's not from that world. Yeah. But that idea of the reward isn't exiting and you know putting your feet up and you know riding your days out into the sunset. No, the reward, really. I think, of being an entrepreneur is keeping playing the game. That's yeah. what keeps us alive. That's what keeps us thriving. So it's a long answer. Yeah. But that's why we're in Singapore now.
0: So you're in Singapore. You're looking back now, and if When I teach people sales and I talk to them about how they should sell, I said I talked to them about how stories are the easiest way to sell who you are or what your product is and stories make you or in your customers' eyes more authentic. How did you do it then when, one, people didn't really know about podcasting, you needed customers, you Mm -hmm. had to get out, you had to pay the bills. How do you start and build those stories around something that people really don't understand?
1: hmm that's interesting at the early stage there's always a story in everybody's situation like this podcast i like how you describe it that ordinary people have potentially extraordinary stories inside them everybody's got something yeah and that is often the case but people don't realize it that every you know your listeners they may feel that oh i don't have a story worth telling but that you do, you really do. Everybody's yeah. overcome something. Everybody's left a bank to work in a startup mm. or left a country to go and start a new business or taking on something, yeah. taking on some challenge, left your comfort zone. So people resonate with that. And that for us, when we moved to Singapore and set up the business, that was the first step in the story, which was, you know, we've come here to take on a challenge. This is our vision. You you sell the promised land to yeah. people, which is this is what we want to build. We want to build this agency to help people tell stories, to help mm. uh, brands humanize their communications, etc. So, so how, sorry, some people just, buy into that, yeah. Yeah. So, how tough
0: was it then compared to now?
1: Very. People would say, "Oh, I don't have five minutes to listen to a podcast," <laughs> so. It, yeah, I, the market wasn't ready. There's a there's a great book by Peter Thiel called Zero to One. Peter yeah. Thiel was the you know Elon Musk's erstwhile partner at PayPal, and he said that be careful of educating a market because that you know you could take a lifetime and billions of dollars. And in hindsight, that's where I was. I was educating a market, and the market was Asia, so it's very large. Yeah. So back then, you faced a lot of resistance why podcast i don't understand it but you know the market's been selling itself in the last two years at least yeah. but back then it was you had to be stupid or thick-skinned or maybe genius a mix of all to really pull that off because you were just facing a lot of rejection at the time they, people didn't get it because it was not only uh you know singapore very corporate there's a lot of yeah
0: that's true hqs
1: yeah. here but also it was asia so it was like three or four years behind the U.S. Yeah. and it was always, oh, that's what they do in the U.S. We don't do that here, which was another thing which you faced resistance on. So yeah, it was very tough, hmm. but that that makes you tougher, I guess. Hmm. You know that that creates you.
0: So post COVID now, you've looked back. How does a leader now, 2021 and above, build authenticity through storytelling when there's so many stories out there now? There's so much information on the net. People basically research the product before they come to you. Uh, how do they do it now?
1: Yeah. You know, people follow people, not brands. That's the yeah. reality today. If you were to look, for example, let's say LinkedIn is probably the, one of the most effective channels if you're in business. Yeah. To, especially if you're business to business, for example. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great channel. And Mm. if you look there, for example, let's compare, let's take Microsoft, for example. So they part own LinkedIn. So, you know, they should be using it. If you look at the Microsoft official page on LinkedIn, and I'm sure listeners can go and have a look at this. Their their posts are getting, I'm not joking, between two and five likes. And they've got 12 plus million followers. Mm. It just How does that make sense that you can get so few likes? Even my worst posts on LinkedIn do better than Microsoft's and they have millions of followers. And yet you've got somebody like Satya Nadella, the yeah. CEO, he'll post something quite authentic, which isn't very corporate isn't plastic, it mm. isn't polished, and it will get thousands of likes. And that really tells us a lot that the reality is, is that how we experience brands today is people. Mm. You're, Persona, your story, your way of communicating with people individually becomes how I, as the the audience or the the buyer, experience that brand. Yeah. So brands have to realise that. I think they're they're slowly learning that this idea of this monolithic brand narrative—you know—the agency concocts this this big idea. In the old days, it would be like Tony the Tiger or some mascot, yeah. and then everybody goes out and buys it. Hmm. But now it's not about that. Now it's not about fake. Now it's about who are you, what's your story, and why should I listen to you? And that really is not just a challenge for brands because they have to let go a little bit. They do. But, but it's also a challenge for the leaders because they have to be vulnerable. They have to do things like this, Rob. They have to sit and talk without knowing what the questions are going to be <laughs> and trust that person that they're going to do a good job of it. Yeah.
0: But that's part of the fun, isn't it?
1: <laughs> but if you I don't know if you're a corporate it can be a little bit scary where if you're at a certain level so the corporations that I'm talking about are yeah. you, the blue chips and the yeah. investment banks and so on you did everything with a handler yes you had you know you can't ask Mr. Elliot that question let me see Mr. Elliot's questions it's always Mr. This Mr. That and they want yeah. to see it they get in the way and they'll polish everything down and there's no surprises and it, it's scripted and it's boring, but yeah. that's the problem, isn't it? That that's kind of how we've been doing it for 50 years. And we've got to change that.
0: Look, I remember when I was first in sales and I got on very well with this lady who owned five liquor stores and she was old school Italian. And she was as straight as a can. If she didn't like you or didn't like what you're offering, she just told you, but she was very loyal. And so I remember my, we used to give what we call rebate checks. And uh, my boss was stuffing her around with the rebate check and wouldn't pay her or wouldn't pay her what she wanted, the whole thing. And he came out one day, she looked at him, looked at me, and said, You leave. I deal with Robert. That's exactly how she said it. And he just looked at me and he left and she said, Robert. I trust you. I buy because of you. I don't buy because of him. He's not allowed in my shops. Hmm. Authenticity. He oh, was fake.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, he didn't know how to speak to people. And how true he was that never is going to be as
1: well, right? That people buy you fast, then the product.
0: They do. They do. I, I hear a lot of people talking about brands now and how they can build authenticity. Hmm. You speak to a lot of people. You've done thousands of podcasts, both behind as guest and as host. If someone came to you and said, I'm about to launch this big brand in Singapore, hmm. uh, it's, it meets the need of what the people have said they want. How does a brand today build authenticity when they're brand new?
1: Hmm. So let's define what authenticity really means because it's kind of the word de jour, isn't it? It's yes. It's getting- pulled and you know changed beyond its original meaning it is but if you look even i mean in ancient in greek it means just original and interestingly if you go to ancient greek Hmm. the word authenticity shares the same etymological root as audio interestingly audience yeah audio Hmm. audience and authority all come from the same etymological root and it's It doesn't have a direct translation, but in ancient Greek, there's a word that begins with "au." i I'm sure if you've got any ancient classic scholars (laughs) listening, they can pull me up on this. But it basically means to feel. It means to perceive or to feel. In the same way you can think about that with audience and authority, Hmm. you feel it and Hmm. you feel like with audio as well. When you're listening, you feel that person more than when you see them in many ways right and it's real it's in your ear and yeah. it's like with your you know for example with my wife when she's saying to me if she's you know annoyed with me she would say to me like you're not listening <laughs> she would never say like you're not looking at me think about yeah. that in our language that's how powerful audio my A wife uses. says
0: the same thing man
1: you're not listening yeah something about man i'm afraid yes so that's just how we do and that's it's it's that power of relationships so it's about relationships and it's about feeling so when you ask me how does a brand do it well who do we have relationships with and who do we really trust it's people so like now if 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 people want to buy a brand they want to buy the people so who is that person who are the people of this brand think about for example um the world's most valuable automotive brand today you immediately know who the founder is right yeah. so think about that and toyota have been grinding years in the background yes. at number one position and along came a single individual and changes that and it's the same with apple for example we all know who the founder was so i want to know as audience and as a consumer what is the origin story of this brand who are they yeah why are they here who is this person i want to know the individuals and the humans inside and So the challenge now for the comms and the marketing people of that brand is to unlock that human potential, give those people a platform to talk, give them the tools to tell their story. Don't gatekeep that flow of information, which is traditionally what happened, like become an enabler. Give them the megaphone to go out there, give them guidelines and green lights to go and tell their story in a very authentic way that's that's what brand leadership is today few brands are doing it but we see some great brands doing it you know people like i think tony fernandez from airasia is a great example i mean who cares about airlines nobody but people care about him because of his you know okay he doesn't get it always right but those guys get a lot of forgiveness right because people buy into their story so i think look at those examples Look at how people are out there in a very vulnerable way telling their story.
0: Yeah, look, I think you're, you're right. I, I heard the chatting to a guy the other day. He was talking to you about us. They've got a new general manager, and within two months, the uh, people working for this guy, he didn't doesn't own the company, picked him up as fake, to use his words. So he said to me, "How does?" a leader, like the blue chips, the big end of town, they do move around every two to three years. They have a short period of time to build trust with the people working with them. They can do it two ways. They can do a management by fear, which is the old school. I'm mm-hmm. the boss, take it or leave it. Or they can be your leader. So one's a manager in my books, one's a leader. If and lead, if one of these guys came to you and one of the big, and I mean Singapore's known for its, uh, its telecommunication companies and it's high tech, and they said, I've just, I'm about to take over a new job. We've got two or 3,000 employees. I'm contracted for four years, but I really need to hit the ground running and build that trust. What would you say to them now would be the best way for them to get out and build the trust and build authenticity with the people working for the company?
1: Hmm. So this is a real situation. This happens a lot. Yes, it does. That the key here is owning their own voice. Because one of the challenges any leader, and I like your definition, leader versus manager. A leader really is out there and staking a flag in the ground for people to run around. Really, that's what they do. They're not necessarily the CEO every time, right? Ah. So they could be anybody within the organization. But the key for them is to own their voice, own their story. And if they were to go to the media, of course, they can get their words out there, Mm. but maybe they are at the mercy of the scheduling or the agenda which the media is trying to bend the narrative into what we really need to do is help that leader create their own media create their own you know media empire and you can easily do this for cheap today like starting a podcast yeah so that's a great starting point because you will attract your followers you create a home for your podcast yep sorry for your followers your tribe if you like and they they may cut across different divisions different departments they might not be the ones with c in their title they might not be the heads but you might have somebody who might be an it manager or a developer who really believes in you and your vision but you haven't got a home for that conversation with them so a great starting point is creating owned media which is a podcast of sorts because i choose podcasts like yourself because it's a very agile way to do it yeah you don't need a production crew of tv and lights and you don't need 20 different takes And people no. are cool with that yeah and you can sit and meet other people And i'm here talking to rob yeah. and rob's talking to graham and you know those are the meetings that we can create in conversations in this podcast so that's a great starting point i think for any leader to own their own voice
0: yeah I, um, I watched a podcast the other day from a major company and it was a new uh, senior executive and it was a great idea. They put it apparently up on their uh, internal website. Now, I know what he was trying to do and he had one of the other managers interviewing him, but it was awful. The intent was good, mm. but it was scripted. It was staged. How, I, I looked at it and I went, why didn't these guys employ someone to come in who knows how to interview, who knows how to do a podcast that you can put up on the internal website and make it a little bit more authentic than this horrible, clunky, you already know what you're about to ask? And I think it did more damage than good. Do you see a lot of them, they have the right idea, but they just don't go to the right professionals to do it?
1: Mm. They don't know what's possible. That's what yeah. I feel. Nah. And that's one of the problems. They they start from a default position of what they've always done. So this for them is PR. Yes. So they'll treat it like PR and a press release effectively. So it's scripted hmm. and it's efficient as opposed to effective, which is a big yes. difference in communication, right? There's no, there's True. no like mistakes. There's no, no ums and ahs. So that's the challenge. And I think back, I mean, my sales days Hmm. selling was my origin myth in business that's how I got started and my first ever business is and going back to the story about I didn't know anybody I so I started a website design business yep in the mid late 90s because that's all I knew to do like I I knew that older people didn't know how to do it I could kind of do it and so (laughs) therefore I could sell it and it's interesting Rob I remember going to one company yeah no it was really door knocking stuff in those days oh i've done
0: that hard yakka
1: <laughs> the only way to learn like kids these days would never understand what it was like to beat the path up to a client carry like, doing bags, all that stuff yeah like the man from the prudential doing all that yeah. stuff so i remember going to one client and selling the idea of a website this is 1998 so we're talking netscape navigator Mm. aol online all that stuff yeah and they said okay we like the idea but this is what we want you to do is here's our brochure and it was like a trade plumbing center so you can imagine like you've got this thick brochure of all the different items in there you know hundreds of pages said what i want you to do is scan that brochure and upload it to the website I'm like, wait a minute, you want me to, because even a scanner back then was radical technology. Yeah. You want to take this like printed brochure, scan every page and upload it to a website. It said, yeah, we'll pay you to do that. And I was telling a friend about it and he said, yeah, you can package this and sell it as brochureware. And there were agencies <laughs> out, seriously, agencies out there selling brochureware and people were buying it and paying thousands of dollars. Oh no. Because they didn't know all they saw the new medium as was the old medium but in new clothes if you like so it was new media but business as usual they were just yeah. scanning print putting it online so back to the story about that podcast is exactly the same yeah it's taking the old way of doing things and bringing it into digital so it's digitization Right, which is basically turning yeah. it into digital, which doesn't change it in any way. So it's brochureware. Yeah. Whereas what they need to do is is a new mindset, like with the internet back then. Mm. It wasn't about simply reformatting it for on a more efficient distribution channel. It was about thinking about it in a different way. And for us, it's about, you know, what we're talking about here is like being authentic. Yeah. And it's not just about turning it to digital, but it's about, you know, unlocking you know, the, the vulnerability and, and the human beings inside these organizations, right? That's what it's about. So that, it's that's a really a new paradigm.
0: Fear of not being in control that stops a lot of these guys.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe, the thing is, Rob, I don't think it's so much these guys. I think it's the people around them. That yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you go to like a com, so traditional yeah. communications, reputation, you know, like. Uh, PR type event Uh, when they had events back in the day before COVID, (laughs) it would all be about, you know, your executive tweets about China. What do you do now? It was all about crisis management. It was all about control. It was all about efficiency. You know, if you imagine traditional communications in a corporation was organized like a pipeline, like an oil pipeline. And if, if you own a pipeline, The one thing you want to make sure with that pipeline, it doesn't leak. It's all about 100% efficiency. And that is how we used to control communication in corporations now. Sorry, back then. Now we need platforms, which is, okay, I'm an enabler. Here is a tool, go out and talk, but do it within these guidelines. So here's the safe zone, which you can talk about, right? I can't police it all. I can't control it all. But I know if the right training, you can go out there and do good. That's the different mindset. So from pipeline to platform in these organizations and from control to curation effectively. But I wonder, you know, you you may need a different person to do that. Because if you've been trained 30 years in comms, maybe that's all you know.
0: Well, someone said to me, anyone doing marketing now at university, if the book's more than two years old, you're wasting your time. (laughs) Because COVID has totally thrown everything everyone's ever been taught out the window and everything's changed. When you are talking before about control, I must tip my hat off to the guys who ran Barack Obama's first campaign Mm -hmm. because they were the first ones to harness Twitter and the press in America hated it because they were Twittering their policy announcement at the same time as the press release was hitting the paper. And so the press then lost control of the narrative and we all know Mm -hmm. how press do like to control what's going out there, and they all lost control. They didn't know what to do, but he built authenticity with the voters mm. by doing that because they could mm. twitter him back. That had never been done before.
1: Mm. No, that's a great example, and it, it really was. requires. It takes. It's a risk. Yes, it was, but it always, you know, it's a calculated risk that this is, you know, do you believe that this is the macro trend that is changing the way we communicate and therefore we need, the, the challenge I think Rob is having people who aren't brochure people to yeah. really understand it because they, you know, the, the problem with being successful in any domain yeah. is the more successful you become, the harder it is to change the rules which have made you successful, right? So if you're 30 years in marketing, it's going to be really hard for you to suddenly come out of that and unlearn yes. and become, you know, on the same playing field as the guy who's just come out of university.
0: Mate, yeah. so true. When you're sitting back now and you've seen a lot of change in the industry and you've seen podcasting evolving, you've seen all these new mediums, do you think that uh, AI will take over a lot of this or what do you see is the big the biggest step change that's coming probably in the next three or four years that business and leaders should be aware of.
1: Yeah, AI is definitely having an impact already. Mm. And in many ways, at the this below the surface, yeah. if you consider every delivery app now has some form of AI. True. Calculating it's like the old salesman problem, you remember? You know, how do I go from A to B to C in the optimum time? <laughs> So that that's happening now. And it's yeah. not, you know, what we may call AI. It's more machine learning, but it is a form yes. of AI. Yeah. And really it's just, you know, effectively identifying patterns and manipulating spreadsheet data better than human beings could ever do. So that, yeah. that's happening. And where I think the really interesting area of where it's having its biggest impact is probably the least anticipated, meaning yeah. that, Everybody expects AI to wipe out the unskilled labor force, right? You know, yeah. it's going to be the agricultural workers. It's going to be the factory workers replaced by robots.
0: They say the same but with actually, computers.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. But, you know, here, that's the, always the fear with these yeah. disruptive changes that the low-skilled, uneducated, mm. low-educated workforce is going to get wiped out. However, the reality is they are the most resilient. You know, if you work at 7-Eleven like, and you lose your job, Monday morning, you've picked something else. You're working somewhere else. You know, you're not a a lawyer or an accountant who suddenly had, you know, 10 years of education wiped out. Yeah. Where the interesting changes is doctors, accountants, lawyers. It's the highly skilled, highly educated elite within society who are biggest, um, who are most under threat from AI. And i tell you why, is you I take just one example, mm. um, doctors. Now, if you're a consultant surgeon or a consultant in a hospital, mm. you spend, you know, you sign up as a doctor. To, you take the Hippocratic Oath you mm. know, to serve mankind and ethics, etc. cetera, right? That, that's yeah. what you believe in. You, you want to serve. Yeah. However, vast majority, if you look at the data, like doctors spend 80% of their time in paperwork, you know, and that is, you know, for regulatory reasons yeah it's not what they signed up for but that is the reality whether it's like writing prescriptions or like writing up a surgery or whatever it may be and the time that they do have left a vast percentage of that is actually looking at patterns so for example if you're a surgeon like you're probably spending a lot of your time looking at scans you're looking at um diagnostic scans you know looking at for example uh cancer scans is is this does this patient have cancer or not? Yes. And interestingly, that is a vast percentage of what they do. However, everybody says, oh, the doctors, they're very highly skilled. You can't replace them as a robot, but a robot is far more effective at doing that than a doctor. Yes. It can do it much faster, doesn't sleep and doesn't require a salary. So that raises a very interesting question about, okay, so if I'm a doctor, what do I now do? Well, Here's the challenge. It goes back to what you started, yeah. you know, what, what a machine can't do. I mean, I can't, you know, let's say you are in hospital, Rob, I, if I was a doctor yeah. and I got a robot on the case, I'd kind going of to scan you, look at your case history, mm. match you with patterns in like split second, done. I found what the analysis is, but what the robot can't do is sit by your bedside and hold your hand and say, Rob, you okay? How you doing? True. But it can't do that with any kind of meaning. And therefore if you are a doctor, if you are an accountant, a lawyer, salesperson, whatever it may be, that is where the value is shifting. Just like it did in every industrial revolution. It wipes out one class of people and creates another. And this is what we're undergoing now. And we're right in the middle of it. And so nobody's giving it a name. Nobody's saying, oh, look at all these things happening around us. But it's here. And in, in time, they'll look back and say, yeah, that was the fourth industrial revolution. That's when it all happened. But when you're in the middle of it, you're just an actor, just seeing random uncorrelated events (laughs) unfold, right?
0: True, mate, true. I've got a couple of quick questions to wind you up with. Mm. If you're back in the motherland and you come across your 20-year-old self, what would you tell him?
1: Is that why you're winding me up? Is you literally, so back in the motherland? No, no, no.
0: It's uh, I I always like, people always get like to... uh, they look at that one and some of the people have said to me they love that question because it are, it shows how our guests are thinking.
1: Mm. Yeah, what are you gonna tell question. yourself? You don't have a lot of time.
0: Make the most of it.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Like yeah. if you're on like you, you really when you're twenty, you have all the time in the world. Mm. And like when you're much older it just seems to go faster. I mean, I can remember being 20 just like yes. it was yesterday. Yes. I can remember being in a pub with my mates talking about what we're doing in the future. And it's and I don't feel any different as a person yet. No. For me, 30 years have passed. So it's Man. incredible, really, like in the blink of an eye. And I think, wow, in another 30 years, I'll be 80. So I might not even be here statistically. Mate, who knows? Who knows? Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think time is what you learn, isn't it? Especially – if you've experienced anybody close to you losing somebody, yes, you know that really impacts you, and you really start to ask questions about everything, career, success. You know, we need we need these reminders. Otherwise, we could just waste a whole life.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, this is a new one, so I'm going to throw it at you. If they turn around and the big fella upstairs has said your time's up, you can choose one last drink. It doesn't have to be alcoholic. It can be. Doesn't matter. What would be your last drink of choice before you got on the escalator up?
1: Oh, I've never thought it considered that one. I don't know. Like, <laughs> why a drink? Is it? It doesn't have any magical properties. It's not nah. like you can get three wishes out of it. No, I don't know. I'm not. A, it would probably be. A, 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 I've got no idea. Coffee, tea. That's cool. A beer. As like, you know, I think with these things, is if it's with somebody. Yes. It's different, isn't it? Like all these, I mean, you can drink coffee or tea on your own, but mm. sitting with somebody and chatting,
0: yeah. you know, it's I, different. I've learned some of my biggest lessons with some of my customers, sitting, having a coffee with them outside yeah. of business, but about business.
1: Yeah, um, that's magical though. I think that's yeah where it's about, you know. I mean, I lived some time in Spain. I yeah. think I learned a lot about that, that they would just sit and have a coffee and just talk. No, Nobody, one thing I, I noticed, Rob, like nobody in Spain walks with a coffee like they do in other countries. Oh, they yeah, that's with true, it. yeah. They walk with it in their hand. Yeah. They just don't. It doesn't happen. It's not allowed <laughs> culturally. They, when you have a coffee, you sit and you talk and you talk about anything. And I love that. And I think there's, that's something missing in our life. There's actually a beautiful word in Spanish, which I, my Spanish is a bit rusty now, but it means "sobremesa," yeah. which means between, between tables which basically means that after the coffee, after your lunch, there's just like this time of nothing, not siesta, but just to relax and chat yeah. with friends and coffee.
0: Mate, and I, I think, think we
1: all need a bit of that.
0: That's, that's an awesome way to uh, finish the main part of the podcast up today. How do people find out a little bit more about you, contact you or they're interested in, in your podcasting agency? Where do they find you?
1: If you go to my website, my personal website, Graham yep. D Brown. So it's Graham with an H, Graham yep. D Brown, dot com. So and you that's see everything there place. about my agency and the books and so on.
0: Fantastic, mate! It's been a complete pleasure. It really has chatting to you today. We'll we'll catch up again in another six or seven months and uh, yeah. see where the world has uh, gone. You're living in a beautiful part of the world in Singapore. Uh, I haven't heard anyone that's been there say a bad word about the place. So you are blessed where you are. Thank you. And uh, I hope your, your wife keeps you in line. <laughs>
1: I'll give you an update in six months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe she's let you live that long at least.
1: <laughs> hey,
0: thank you again so much. And as we say to everybody on our podcast, have a groovy day.
1: Thank you.